bist du hier aller Ehre. Was ist Wundes hier geschehe? Dass ein Magd ein Kind This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And I am here in person with Isaac Simpson. Dan joins us remotely from Zoom. So this is kind of a half uh, half in-person, half virtual podcast. Um, and it's also a simulcast. This is also going to be an episode of The Carousel, hosted by Isaac. Um, but for our listeners who may or may not know who Isaac is, he's disgraced propagandist on Twitter. Um, and he uh, writes about branding and he has a resume, a former vice writer and extensive experience with branding and, and writing. Um, I mean, Isaac, how would you introduce yourself? Um, yeah, I think that that's pretty accurate. I was actually trained as a lawyer. I graduated from law school. I graduated pretty close to the top of my class. I was sort of getting sucked into the world of corporate law-ish. Also, it was 2012, so I really didn't have many opportunities anyway. Moved to California, passed the bar, and I got a job at a big advertising agency um, and realized that that was kind of a good career profession, career path for me. And so I started pursuing that, but at the same time, I was writing, writing, writing. I was blogging. I... Uh, wrote a book. I started getting published in Vice. And mm-hmm. then I became a sort of weekly columnist for LA Weekly, doing kind of gonzo journalism around yeah. the city. Nice. Um, yeah. And that was kind of the beginning of how, how it started. Yeah, cool. Well, I have to well, say, and I'm not just congrats. saying this because you're our guest and because you're a friend, uh, but you're you're a very good writer. I was really thinking about this yesterday while I was reading through your um Again, your Substack, the Carousel, which I'll ask you more about in a second. Uh, but no, there's definitely a real talent there, and the, the uh, your ability to to write rather fast because it's a the Carousel is not a very old blog, and I feel like it's been picking up steam recently. But you have a an ability to whip out um, pieces, you know, on a kind of weekly or biweekly, or, you know, at least a couple of months sort of basis, and yeah, they're very good. And we'll get into some of them today. But like, for example, your hype dad piece is hilarious. Um, I can see the sort of gonzo influence that you mentioned because um, it does have that kind of mix of humor and observations from real life, but then, you know, uh, delving into some kind of more profound points as well. And of course, branding is never uh, too far from the surface. Uh, before we get too far in, though, you recently rebranded yourself from Branding Dork. Uh, we're going to be saying the word branding a lot on this show, so bear with us. Uh, from branding dork to disgraced propagandist, if you want to comment on that, uh, that rebrand, that vibe shift of your own. <laughs> solo vibe shift. Yeah. Um, so I, I recognize that doing that is in bad taste on Twitter. So first of all, uh, I was already disgraced propagandist. That was my name. I just changed the handle. So my name was already that. And then right. I just changed the handle. Who I really am is Isaac Simpson. That's, yeah. I'm a, a, um, 
face lord whatever you, want you can say, say face tag uh, yeah. <laughs> oh i don't know if you want to self-identify as that but. uh so that's what i am you know and um i changed the handle because the that handle was really for a different project than this project is and i've been out of the this game of of our thing for so long and i was kind of re-arriving to it and um i just didn't really i think i had been talking to some people via dms and i think they were getting very kind of thrown off by the meaning of that yeah and not that any of that matters it really doesn't as delicious taco says just don't think about it don't care right. about it and i would highly recommend that but this was just uh very autistically haunting me so i was just like all right i'm changing it and then i'm never touching it ever again yeah <laughs> no, I, no no I no it's very I, I, relevant like um branding dork like for when you first like messaged me or commented on my posts i'm like branding dork who the fuck is this guy yeah. but then like disgrace propagandist that sounds a lot cooler yeah that like it, that exactly. is that is better branding disgraced propagandist than branding dork totally and i mean i mean if you look at bronze age pervert right i'm sure he bronze age pervert at first probably really turned people off and then he managed to you know obviously oh yeah he made it. fetch happen it, like it, bronze age pervert like that you know sounded pretty weird but like now it's cool exactly so, yeah. and i'm sure if i'd gone long enough into in the branding door that would have been yeah fine but but again i don't i'm not really trying to i think twitter for me is very much a means to an end it's not mm -hmm. my like core it's not my core place of being so for me yeah. i just wanted it to be easy and not catch anybody up so that's why yeah disgraced no I'm... propagandist it almost asked the question how did you get disgraced and yeah, all this like it's true. a good <laughs> yeah i mean it's i'm uh <laughs> that but it's like it's a like a good name from a branding perspective because it begs the question like what is he propagandizing how did he disgrace right. himself yeah no, and <laughs> for the record i i know people say don't rebrand on twitter i don't think there's any problem while you're still growing an audience in toying with that i think that zero hp lovecraft probably shouldn't change his name or even his profile picture but like for the rest of us who are still kind of scrapping it out you know you see what works i did something similar recently and kind of for similar reasons i changed my profile picture which is you know everyone does that occasionally i suppose but i had like a drawing of me with like uh kind of large-ish glasses on and i kind of realized that maybe that would too was like I, I thought there was kind of an irony to it as i'm sure there sort of was a branding door it's like look at me like i'm sort of like this you know, somewhat nerdy neoliberal character here. Uh, but I kind of realized that a lot of people probably wouldn't get that irony seeing the picture. So I just, I added a new picture. But yeah, I, I think when you're, you, when you, and I, I think, I feel like I have maybe gotten slightly more followers since then, though maybe that's just because of the pod. I don't know. But I think it's okay to, to toy with that um, while you're on your way up. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, Matt, I think that was a good move. That was like the the old profile pick i liked it but it doesn't really fit the tenor of your account and the new one definitely is more on brand shall we say so yeah, yeah. i think what it. we're saying is like in the primordial phases you're allowed to kind of screw around with these absolutely things. But then maybe after you pass like a thousand followers then you got to just like freeze it something like that you know no hard and fast yeah i've heard the numbers 1500 i've heard yeah, that's that, when things change like, that, I, that I sounds that sounds about right i mean yeah. even even like uh bronze age pervert used to be known as hyperion or so i'm so i'm told Ooh, so you know everyone history that, yeah wow. yeah as i think uh nico <laughs> solo said but anyway not to get too far off topic do you want to talk a little bit about 
uh, the carousel, which is your Substack as well as your podcast. And um, also just your kind of your general, you mentioned that you're kind of coming back to our scene after a bit of a hiatus. I think we'll get into a little bit of personal history to the extent you're comfortable, but also just maybe, maybe before the personal history, starting with what your project is now with the carousel, you're trying to bring an honest voice to branding and about branding for our, uh, for like, the, for lack of a better term, the red pill sphere right, right into that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the the name The Carousel comes from that great scene in the last episode of Mad Men season one right. where Don Draper says it's not a wheel, it's a carousel, <laughs> and it's this kind of emotional moment. And then also it comes from a great Towns Van Zandt song called Miss Carousel, and there's an amazing quote in there that huh. I actually shared, or an amazing lyric where it's like talking about the natural man can't stand and Miss Carousel owns his legs. It's such a great line. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the carousel is reflective of just the cycles of life. And um, in that scene in Mad Men, what he's doing is classic propaganda. And classic propaganda is tying emotion to a message in order to get people to do something, in order to get people to believe something or do something. And that process is so inherent to daily life now that we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think people in our sphere and in our thing hate it naturally. Like as the last episode with delicious tacos, kill all marketers. I think, and again, seeing the word branding dork, right? That is naturally repellent to our type of people, advertising, branding, marketing, especially the word marketing just yeah. like, ugh, makes you wince and me included. But I think that that is a big part of the reason why we struggle. It's a big part of the reason why we don't have the power that we should have because those realms, you know, there's a great great quote on some Twitter that maybe one of you guys shared recently that was, um, or somebody did, that was democracy is government by advertising. Mm -hmm. And if you read early Bernays, Mm -hmm. early Bernays is all about, there is a small group of people who you don't know who are actually in control of a democratic government. So, <laughs> so by saying that, that's later in this conversation, <laughs> he's literally saying, I mean, he's literally openly, yeah, here he says, this is uh, what Bernays says. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element of democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. (laughs) And he goes on and on. So propaganda, as we know it, began with the Catholic Church and then really rose to what we know today in kind of World War I with Britain. Britain did a very good propaganda job propagandizing for World War I. But then with Bernays, who's like kind of the 20s and later, it becomes the fundamental fixture of what the ruling party is doing. Yeah. Like I think the Hillary Clintons of the world, these neo-libs and neocons, they view their job as propaganda. That is yeah. what they think they're doing. Government. You know, by propaganda. Yeah. They yeah. read Saul Alinsky. They say, Oh, my job is to manipulate people into just letting me stay in power basically. Yeah. And so um, I think that our side or our people need to look at branding and marketing through a lens of acceptance more so. And what I'm trying to do with the carousel is 
bring a gonzo, transparent, clear look at what that world is like. Because that world is truly isolated. It's not like, you know, I, I was a lawyer. It's not like law. Law has a very clear way in. So many of our people are, are in law. Same with medicine. Same with any of these other things that have this very clear path. Advertising is totally sectioned off. It's, it is really hard to get into it. It's, yeah. And once yeah. you're here, you're and like, what is this world that I've stumbled into? In fact, I, after graduating from college, I was like trying to be a journalist, but I'll work in public relations to make money. And I wanted to uh, get into advertising because like, like you said on your blog or pod with tacos, it's like you get to be creative and make money and there are women. It's great. It's fun. Mm -hmm. So like I, I kept trying to get in and get like copywriter jobs. And like, I came from an Ivy league school and regardless, I couldn't break in. And so eventually I went to law school and it, you know, it's kind of, I guess it's the opposite of your story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a really hard industry to break into, I found. Yeah, you really need to do very specific things and, and be aligned in this really specific way. And let me just say, I am the disgraced propagandist. So yeah. it's not like, I'm, <laughs> you know, it's not like I, I have flirted with this as an outsider. I've, you know, I've been in these agencies, and then I get fired, then I get, you know, I've gotten fired a bunch of times. And uh so I flirt with it. You know, I've, I've seen it. I've gotten deep in enough to see it and see how it works and participate in it and be relatively successful in it. But I'm even me is a total, you know, I've yeah. been banished from this world. Mm-hmm. So I, I yeah. uh, you know, no, I, you, you I, I still have one the, the Sonin rod in the uh, Lucky Strikes ad that doesn't work. Wait, what? You can't put the Sonin rod in the Lucky Strikes ad. That doesn't what is work. Sonin rod? I don't even know what Sonin rod is. Oh, that's the um, the black sun. It's one of oh right, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> you probably could. No one would know. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, as you as you mentioned on, I think one of your uh, carousel podcasts, uh, oftentimes new logos are accused of looking like uh, buttholes and swastikas. Yeah. Uh, they imagine the Slack logo looks a little bit like the black sun, doesn't it? <laughs> it they all look like yeah. either or. It's going to be one or the other. Yeah. You know, yeah it's butthole yeah. or, or uh, swastika. Yeah. And, the, the, and the, isn't that really the, 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 like the spectrum? Yeah. Of, of that's, everything? Uh, <laughs> pretty much. And then the black sun is like the, the midpoint between butthole and swastika. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, actually very centrist. Yeah, no, in, <laughs> indeed. Um, I think when we when we first chatted about this, you mentioned it's like a few specific, and not that we need to name them, <laughs> but there's like a few specific schools um, that kind of feed into the oh yeah no, uh, we propaganda world. It. It's not. A, I, I was yeah. thinking most as a joke, but yeah. So if you want to go into advertising as a creative, you have to go to what's called a portfolio school, and there's really very few of them. So mm-hmm. you have VCU which is Virginia Commonwealth. For some reason, they have a great portfolio school. You have Creative Circus, which I think is like, I think there's maybe two of them. Somebody can correct me on this, but I think there's one in Miami and Atlanta. Or no, 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 sorry. That's in Atlanta. There's Miami Ad School, which is in Miami. You have SCAD, Savannah College of Arts and Design. You have um, the one in Massachusetts, or no, Rhode Island. You have RISD. And uh, you have like BYU. There's a right because there's a lot of Mormons in this. Ton of Mormons well, but BYU. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I was wouldn't just expect that. Right with a copywriter BYU Mormon girl, um, ah. and who who just left Mormonism actually. But uh, 
Yeah. So there's very few schools that specialize in this really high level portfolio creation. And what you need is a really rock solid portfolio. That's what you really I see. And in today's world to have, you know, whatever intersectional backstory is going to get you. That's going to, uh, that sells there too. Yeah. Oh my God. No, that's the only, that's the only. Um, So yeah, I mean, um, it's a, it's really tough. It's a really tough world to get into and you are rewarded. I mean, once you get it, but now really everything is changing. I mean, it's so when I was, at so I started at 72 and sunny, which is this, you know, was the top. Ad I've agency. heard of that. Yeah. That, when I was there, it was a top ad agency in the world. And I was on the Google account. It was straight up just incredible. Like it was like partying all the time. The hottest girls you've ever seen in your life. Just everybody fucked up constantly, like yeah. really creative. Like, you know, we'd have retreats, like flipping golf carts on the golf course. Yeah. You know, <laughs> It was like everything you would think. But then what started happening, same thing that happened to fraternities, same thing that happened to every other type of partying that exists, it started getting like clamped down on it. Yeah. You really, I, it was noticeable, like you couldn't really do it anymore because everybody started getting afraid. People started getting fired. Yeah. Um, and then mm-hmm. after BLM, after 2016 and, and all that stuff, uh, then it was just yeah, no, really no more done. Fun. I mean, it's not what it was at yeah, all. No, no, no yeah. more room for that sort of no. uh, energy. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah no, I know no, it no. has happened to everybody. I know you mean. Um, yeah, no. So I did want to comment on, um, or I guess, first of all, like uh, to whatever extent you're comfortable, like how did, how did you kind of get into this? world then yeah that's Um, a great question so i was trying to think about this last night so i think what happened i mean who really knows right but because how does anybody get in you don't really remember the breadcrumbs you talk about how we got into whatever this is what are we calling it the dissident dissident, right which i actually despise as a name but it's the most neutral which i think uh, i like the e-write actually i do too because it's it's more inclusive (laughs) <laughs> i mean i, I mean it, like it's you know it, it broadly captures everyone in this sphere whereas right. like the dr i would say is more specific and like oh, yes okay. maybe we are all in it but like is you know i don't know like um not to name names but like default friend i wouldn't say she's in the dr but i would say broadly perhaps the e, right yeah you see i'm trying to make it not e so that's like, yeah. you know, that, that's my, that's my goal really. So I don't want to be E, you know, I, I'm not an E, I'm not an E person. I'm like an IRL person. So yeah. like I, but no, I mean, fair, look, fair. I think you're right that so far it is the E, right? I just hope that it doesn't stay that forever. Um, so anyway, my like way in was, I think this is what happened. So in, I wrote it down. In 2015, I published a book of my own. It really sucked. It was the first thing I'd ever written. It was about working as a lawyer in Vietnam, very gonzo journalism-y. It's a cool topic, but just like, it was really the first thing I'd ever like written. Um, So like, you know how Taco says like, oh, I wrote every day for a year. And before I showed him, I was the total opposite. I just showed everybody everything from day (laughs) one, you know? You know, but I learned that way, you know, like I, I, it took me a really long time to be a good writer. And it was just because I just put shit out there constantly. So I just got like beaten into being good at it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I published a book of my own in promoting it. I sort of found the red pill subreddit. Right. So I don't know if that was kind of the, the woman red pill, the dating red pill. <laughs> 
And there was an article yeah. on there called the first like required reading was the misandry bubble by the futurist. Do you guys remember this? No, I probably wasn't no. around then in truth. You so know? this was like 20, this was pre-Trump. Yeah, that was right. <laughs> and it was this long essay by this guy Imran Khan, who mm-hmm. is I don't I've think, heard the name. Well, he's the president of Pakistan, but I don't think it's uh, <laughs> don't Okay, think that's it's probably why I've heard the name, Imran, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was this like talking about hypergamy talking about what happens when marriage ends and women become unmoored from the one-to-one relationship with men yeah and it turns into this 80 20 thing where only the top guys are getting laid and the rest of the guys aren't yeah it was so red it was like popping a balloon i was so red yeah it was like the first time i'd ever read anything like that and i was like holy shit like there is this whole world of thought out there that i have never accessed and i've thought these things and I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't have the words. And this was the first time I'd ever read anything like that. And that was really the beginning of it. And then I found, you know, Ted Kaczynski, you read and it's like, you know, not that I'm advocating for any of that stuff, but it's, it's also that, I mean, even academics say that's a very interesting piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Industrialization. You, you yeah. realize, as you said, you realize there's a world of thought out there, exactly. which you'd maybe previously not been aware of or never dared really consider, but at some and point, which, which crucially get... was withheld from us there's no, a world absolutely. of thought that right. is not yeah. being presented to us and so then you discover it and it seems like this kind of cornucopia of forbidden knowledge absolutely and you want to you want to imbibe it all and like the one item of caution there is like not everything that is forbidden is necessarily like the sweetest or best fruit some of it is just you know stupid but like whatever like oh, there's a lot of really cool shit in there too yeah, no, no, definitely. And I think that I think that your story with it is not entirely dissimilar to Dan's and mine. Um, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you would exactly say this, but in the process, you were self-publishing a book, right? Oh, yeah. yeah so it, the relationship <laughs> between not just like self-publishing <laughs> base stuff, but just self-publishing in general. Anyone Anything, who's yeah, an independent exactly. thinker. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Anyone who's, I mean, that's, this is our origin, origin story to an extent. Yeah, I think if you're... The, self-publishing trying to get something published that is maybe for whatever reason outside of the mainstream i think probably both matt and our novels my novel is outside of the mainstream for reasons that are content-based but even if you're outside of the mainstream for reasons that are just your you know a straight white male trying to get published and not writing about woke stuff, like you will find yourself on the outside. Yeah, you and if find you're on yourself... the outside. You look for other, you know, peers. Yeah, yeah no, I think this, this will tie into the vibe shift conversation that we'll get onto a bit later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even and Isaac, you've blogged about this kind of being a perennial outsider. Just if you're in that position, regardless if you're right wing or not, you're gonna realize there's a place online where you know, things are being discussed in a more, in a less censored way. And, and then you end up gravitating towards that. So I think it's a, it's a worthy red pill story. And I, it's one that I, I think I share to an extent, not exactly like that, but, but basically similar. I realized, yeah, that there was this cornucopia of different realms of thought and a cornucopia of different places to put work and to have readers and to have dialogue, uh, which is entirely non, as you said, like maybe there was a good party culture at 72 and sunny, but like that has gotten so sterile um, that I think I think this does tie into the vibe shifting. A lot of us are kind of pushed towards this stuff, not even for political reasons per se, but just because it's a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. 
Um, like Dan, you mentioned yeah. default friend, not exactly like a dissident right person, but like she is definitely like an independent thinker. And all of a sudden she's in our corner because like this is where you can have thoughts that don't have to get past seven layers of censors because no one likes that. Even liberals don't like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like a loose, all the loose pieces kind of thing. Yeah. All the loose pieces fall. And crucially, I think you you need to be somewhat red-pilled to find your way to this sphere and participate in it. Because, like, when we met on um, on Justin Murphy's forum, Matt, like, by that point, like, yes, I had written an outsider novel and you had written an outsider novel, but, like, I had already, you know, years ago listened to Sam Harris's pod with Charles Murray and yeah. read Human Diversity, and I was <laughs> fully red-pilled on everything. So, like, the idea of, like, oh, being published with Terror House, people are calling this, like, a fascist press. And I'm like, if you were just a normie who, like, couldn't publish things because you're, you know, whatever, you're a straight white male, like, you you might be scared away. And, in fact, I think there was one guy on Indie Thinkers who was scared away by kind of, like, that vibe. But, like, yeah, no, I was already, like, on that vibe. So, like, you, you kind of need to be softened up, I think, yeah. before so you're ready Just so for people know, what is Indie Thinkers with Justin Murphy? So that is a kind of community of um, people who want to like talk about shit and kind of have access to like, you know, interesting philosophical friends or whatever. And like you, you pay Justin to let you use his forums and make friends and like, you know, fuck it. Like it sounds, you know, I know how it sounds, but you know, I met Matt through uh, Indie Thinkers. I met a lot of other cool people. So yeah, it was, it was easily worth it for me. Yeah. I, I was on it. Uh, I, I'd taken a, a core, an academic course with um, through Justin Murphy's like other life company. Um, and, and it got me onto the forum but yeah, basically, basically it's a forum for, for, in, you know, thinkers of this. I don't know. I'm trying to avoid saying indie thinkers, but you know, uh, um, people attracted to th this sphere in a broader sense. Uh, there's a lot of urbit people on there too. Yeah, I'm, I'm no. looking at the urbit icon on your computer right now. Yeah. Um, but no, I met Justin in, in New York. He held a reading of some Nick Land material. Was that the <laughs> Prospect Park thing? Prospect that looked Park. cool. It was, it was yeah, I wish I could have made it out. Like, 15 dudes sitting in a circle they look like the hipsters and, and yeah. him like just like hammering nick land it was actually great it was like no, it wow. i was like this is really cool um yeah no he seems like a great guy so would you guys suggest joining that for young young people or um, oh i i would actually yeah look. i mean like it, it fucking worked for me like you yeah. know i i met matt i met other cool people i don't think new right wouldn't exist probably without our both people belonging to now he calls it other life and like i realize i i am like literally shilling for justin here. <laughs> yeah i mean but you know it's yeah. i think it's worth it so. yeah you know consider the price tag i don't even know what the price tag is at Present. this point but uh i mean yeah i, I guess that's the only way I can really answer is to say, yeah, this podcast won't exist without it. So yeah. if you have, if you're, if oh, you were kind of new to this you, scene. You froze really, for a second there. Um, no, what I would say is this podcast wouldn't exist without any thinkers. So if you're new to the scene there and looking to network, um, it definitely is a good place to do it. Um, right, I want to ask more. Can you hear us now? Yeah, no, I, I hear you now. Okay, cool. Um, I'll de we'll definitely get a little more on the dissident right and like the people you know, blah, blah, blah. But to back up one half step and before we get off the totally off the topic of propaganda and branding, um, do you want to comment on the fact that when you Google disgraced propagandist, I think you are you the first result? 
yeah and then who and then second is uh mr uh (laughs) joseph goebbels i never say that german oe thing right goebbels i can't i can't do it um (laughs) i don't know i guess i don't really know what you'd comment on that other than that it is kind of a somewhat amusing fact but um i mean i'm interested in goebbels uh and uh maybe, maybe comment on this when I watched Adam, you mentioned Edward Bernays earlier, who I knew we wanted to talk about, you know, he's godfather of modern public relations or propaganda. Uh, American, uh, what is it, the, the nephew or the godson of Sigmund Freud? I think or he's the nephew. The nephew yeah. of Sigmund Freud. Fascinating character. We could probably do a whole podcast on Edward Bernays. Um, but there's the documentary Century of the Self that Adam Curtis uh, made uh, largely about Bernays and his ideas. But one thing I always found interesting is Bernays is Jewish, obviously. Uh, and even just based on the comments you were making about him earlier, you can tell he really gets the kind of tinfoil JQ crowd going, um, you know, talking about shadow governments and the small group of people really in charge and yada, yada, yada. I don't think he was talking about the Jews no, <laughs> by no, any no, means. I don't think, but, especially um, at that time, yeah. you know, I don't think he was talking about the Jews. Yeah, I think people see that and say, oh, yeah. this, but no, I, he definitely wasn't. I mean, yeah. if, maybe he's talking about the Mormons. <laughs> no, but in, in Utah, um, yes. In Utah, yes. But uh, one thing I always found puzzling is that, um, not puzzling, but fascinating, is that Goebbels actually took influence from Bernays. Is that, have you have you heard this? Yeah, yeah. oh, totally. No, 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 um, absolutely. No, and I think he's, Goebbels says that. I mean, I think he's, he's open about that. I, I think uh, the Nazis get their propaganda from, um, again, there was, England in World War I did a great job. There's like the, you know, the, uh, what does it say? It says like, um, destroy the mad brute. And it's like a big, you know, monkey. Right. Yeah. Uh, so before the, the English were painting the Germans as the monkeys. Right. And, yeah. and they were like trying to, you know, these kind of savage barbarians that were eating Europe, which was true. I mean, the Prussians were like, you know, they were basically the Comanches in the industrialized yeah. version. So, so, um, and also there was that great, there's a very famous propaganda poster after the sinking of the Lusitania, which is this woman drowning with her baby. And it just says enlist. Yeah. It's one of the most famous pieces of seen propaganda. It. All ever. this comes to mind, you know. Right. I and, remember, and that was yeah. actually for American propaganda. So yeah. I know that the Nazis were, many people blamed uh, their loss of World War II, one, on the success of English and American propaganda. So I think that that was a big part of what the Nazis wanted to do in World War II. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the Germans in World War I, they like crucially, I, I believe, regarded the English and American propaganda as like laughable. They're like, this is stupid. This is, look at these chumps. But it worked. And that was their mistake. They didn't regard it as a real threat, which is in some ways similar to uh, how conservatives regard, you know, the liberal control of the media and liberal propaganda. It's like, well, this is so fake and gay. How could anyone believe this? <laughs> right. And uh, well, right. lo and behold, a lot of people did believe it and do believe it. And now uh, your your son is. Uh, <laughs> a game marine but uh yeah i mean because yeah. you, you brought up that interest i mean the case you talk about woke marketing case in point that recent um marines or was it just army uh, ad with the rainbow bullets i mean it's ridiculous to us it's proof of clown world whatever it's it's actually pretty funny but no i think that some people do you know i think that reflects sort of what's going on and i think that there's probably a, a class of people out there who are really uh moved by that um 
unfortunately perhaps speaking of right-wing branding are you familiar with the way chris rufo is trying to kind of like brand the culture wars from a a right perspective no what is oh well so he's like chris rufo is an investigative journalist who kind of got into like really like the anti-woke thing and uh his his big thing is like he made crt a dirty word Oh, and but yeah. it like it really worked it really like you know it's like it he's like succeeded in branding some of the left stuff as like degenerate and oh. you know absurd and so like this new he's kind of in some ways responsible for the the groomer branding oh. dang that okay that's fascinating really well. who is he i've never yeah. actually i've never even heard of Chris. well he who burst is. onto the scene about one and a half years ago when the crt thing started hitting really hard and he like he's for some reason became the person that people would send scoops to about like yeah my school is making my kid read about how white children are spirit murdering black children and they didn't yeah. they'd, like send him curriculum and he'd post it and he'd write about it and so he just like became the locus of the kind he's- of the anti-woke movement. I wouldn't say Rufo is maybe personally he's on board with the DR, but um, publicly he's very much more of a, a Sibnat type of guy, an American mind type of guy. Right. That's real. I I um I knew I associate Chris Rufo's name with CRT, but I have to say from a branding perspective, I've never thought of this till now. But I do remember there was a point, yeah, about a year about a year ago. Uh, where all of a sudden everyone and like every, not just the dissident right, but like boomer cons and like people's parents that I knew, everyone was talking about critical race theory. So somehow he did brand that and yeah. get it into the conversation. Similar thing happened with the word groomed. So yeah, it sounds like Chris Rufo may be one of our. That's uh, great. That's cool. Yeah, I, I gotta look the into that. Most effective like, right wing propagandist right now by far. Yeah, interesting. I mean, well, him, you know, and, was... him and Bap. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Well, that was a big, uh, you know, Carl Rove used to be known as that guy for the right, for the neocon right. He he was oh, always yeah, yeah. labeling things that ended up being, oh, that's what, you know, pro-life or whatever. I don't know if he was the guy yeah. who did that. So, yeah, there's a long history of this kind of culture war back and forth of, of yeah, uh, propagandizing and labeling things correctly. And I, I do think CRT, that was really effective for, for the right. I think that that yeah. really like uh, resonated and scared people. Yeah, I mean, we all know this acronym. Like how many other, that's the product yeah. of branding. How, you don't just know an acronym. Right. Like everyone's like CRT, CRT, CRT. And that um, that was effective. That's interesting. I hadn't really given thought to that before this yeah. conversation. But no, I think Yeah, Chris, something... come on the pod. Yeah, yeah, Chris Rufo. Um, Chris Rufo. I got. I need to look him up. I've never even. No, yeah. no one's gonna cancel you here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to get a little bit more, and so uh, following your red pill and everything, you you have uh, some history with like Menaquinon Four and Delicious Tacos is a friend. Um, if you just want to comment to the extent you're comfortable, you know, with sure. how you kind of got more in, into the sphere yeah so i've i've spent since my red pilling <laughs> at the hands of imran khan president of pakistan <laughs> i uh, i uh i have kind of moved back and forth constantly between dedicating myself fully to our side of things and then getting afraid and going back into being a mainstream normie and being like oh i have these dreams of being rich and uh, you know rich don draper and it's kind of always been back and forth right um, in the times that it's been on, I've worked for Curtis Yarvin, 
I have written and dealt with Menaquinone and BAP and those guys like pretty intimately. And mm-hmm. before they were what they are now, but they Pencil were so names. very yep. big. There's an article I wrote called Raining Frogs that's from that era that kind of uh, um, is all about Menaquinone and him getting banned. And I dealt with Menaquinone a lot at that time. And, you know, it was always, I, I'm just not an internet person. So I always struggled with connecting on the level with those guys that I wanted to, and then also wanting to live in the real world. Yeah, you know? totally, And totally. so that was always a lot of tension. Um, I also was recruited by a very big name in our space, not our space, even more. I don't know. What do you call mainstream kind of conservatism? You call it? I mean, there's different words. Uh, Conserv- Con, what is it? Conservative Inc. is a kind of negative word. Yeah. Well, uh, I wouldn't, just mainstream conservatism. <laughs> if we're talking about what I think we're talking about, I don't know if I call them conservative Inc. I, I think it's more like, um, I don't know. Um, I, I, oh, oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The populist right. Yeah, yeah populist um, right. Um, a great list. Yeah. I won't. I don't, I don't want to identify him because I actually love him and I believe very strongly what he's doing. But um, and this was all very under. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he is a great propagandist. Let's just say that. <laughs> and um, uh, I got recruited and kind of fell into that world for a little while. I didn't make the cut of that though, largely because, huh. I mean, like BAP, I'm really unmoored from traditionalism i'm i'm kind mm-hmm. of a hedonist you know i'm a kind of a hedonist party guy yeah. gonzo writer like I, I kind of want right-wingism without without the traditionalism necessarily you know i'm not really a conservative yeah. guy i'm yeah. more like i'm more like delicious tacos and and bad so uh i didn't totally fit with that and also there's a really okay i'll just tell you guys the story so <laughs> as as part of this uh world they put us through various challenges because it was about being, uh, uh, it was about gathering information. Let's just say that. All right. so one of the challenges that they put us through, and this was like run by some ex spy type guys was they dropped you in a place. I'm not going to say where, but let's just say it was not in a city and you had to, you had three hours or a certain amount of hours to get somebody's full information, including their social security number, their picture, their measurements, everything about everything that you could get about a person. You had four hours. This was a challenge. So they dropped each of us in a different place. I get dropped at this roadhouse bar. So I'm sitting there. (laughs) I'm sitting there. It's like the afternoon. It's like 4 p.m. or something. And there's just like a few drunk, like 55-year-old total country people there. And I'm just sitting there like, what am I doing? I I kind of like, uh, hi, my name is Isaac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like they're like, who the fuck are you? So I'm just like sitting there in my like cool outfit, like you know, like drinking, and they're just like staring at me, like, what are you doing? Smoking cigarettes inside, and uh, I'm like, uh, you know, I kind of like ask them to bum a cigarette. I like, I'm kind of like trying to start a conversation with them, and they're just like not having it at all. So I'm sitting there getting drunker and drunker, and my uh, time is running out. So. I'm like, okay, I just need to figure something out. So I say, I say okay, guys, you know what? I, I was lying before. I'm actually a Hollywood producer and we're working on a like diners and drives thing about roadhouses across the country. Like, <laughs> and we think this place will be, will be, will work. They totally buy. It. 
everybody there is like 100 percent like, oh we wondered why you were here like yeah come on like well, i'm buying drinks for everybody <laughs> and awesome. I, I succeed i got there was like this young bartender girl who like wanted to be a star got her social got her picture got everything about her amazing oh shit. we leave yeah I'm like one of the few people that succeeded because it's actually a really hard challenge. It's really one oh, yeah. of more of one of those challenges that you're supposed to fail. You're actually not really supposed to succeed. It's more just like how you fail. Yeah, yeah. And, but I actually succeeded, but I'm trashed. And halfway back to where, where we're going, I'm with these like spy dudes. I'm like, I forgot my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they were so pissed. You know, like they, the people had my ID. They called me. They like had my number. And like these guys were like ops, operational security completely destroyed because of this like yeah. drunk idiot. And so I got booted out like real quick. Which I mean, they were right. I mean, they were totally right. Like I'm not, I would have been a risk, you know, they they, they were right to like, leave me out of that. So you're, you're like Maverick. You don't play by the rules. I, don't, listen, the I, don't, I leave my wallet behind wherever I want. <laughs> oh, still a good story you, in any case. Get yeah. the job done. Sometimes goose dies, but you know, that's just what's got to happen. It's the way it is. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm a Bukowski person fundamentally, but and, and you don't yeah. want, you don't want Bukowski on your spy team. <laughs> 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 So. Well, on the subject of Bukowski, and again, to what I don't know if there's anything that either one of you would not want on a podcast, but how did you really start getting? Because you, I'm so I met you. I'll say this at Delicious Tacos is forever mag reading. This will also, I think, tie into our vibe shift conversation we're about to get into. Uh, that's where I met you, and you, you and you and Tacos go back a bit. So how did how did you and he first kind of? become friends so we met through our mutual friend eric vidal okay who i also met yeah oh yeah you met him. So yeah. he's gore vidal's like nephew or something and oh um, i didn't realize yeah, that yeah he's yeah. kind of in our scene and um he just we had so he had read my book and we met in the most random way ever like through this girl and i met him and he was like i was like yeah you know i just wrote a book he was and i was like it's about vietnam he says is it called philosophy and fucking vietnam that's what my first book is called yeah. and he was like he was like yeah i just read that because he found it on the red pill so we became friends he was a big tacos guy and so we all three just kind of started hanging out in la you know and that we just like messaged each other i tried to you know me and tacos collaborated a bunch of times yeah. i've been trying me trying to like get him more attention and so yeah, it's been kind of a long road with him. Gotcha. Yeah. But on the subject of tacos and that forever mag reading, for, for oh, me, yeah. forever mag is starting to become synonymous, not synonymous, but like very closely associated with this vibe shift idea. Yeah. I guess um, and, and that that night we met back in April at the tacos reading, uh, Eugene Kotalorenko and others were also there uh at the ace hotel downtown um that to me that night itself kind of defined the, this vibe shift because it was um it was tacos who's obviously associated with our scene but then it was also uh kind of just like this i don't i hate to i overuse this word hipster but you know it was a it was a cultural cultural event um and you know there's people asking questions about peter Thiel. it was this mixing of worlds in a really cool way and again it's where where we first crossed paths, but um, I guess, so I'm going to ask you kind of about the vibe shift, which is obviously a matter of branding, um, but maybe, and this is also something that you sort of enlightened me on through your, through the carousel, uh, but the term vibe shift didn't come from nowhere, like CRT we were talking about, it was invented by a person, Sean Monahan. Yeah. So do you want to just kind of talk about the vibe shift and, and uh, 
Sure. Where that was coined. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Sean Monahan is a guy who became really well known in my industry a long time ago because he had a great um, strategy magazine called K Hole. Mm-hmm. So he coined the term Normcore. Right. Uh, oh, sure. A long time ago. Yeah. That, that was a while ago. So he's just a really genius sort of trend um, predictor, trend predictor yeah, type yeah. of guy. And he wrote this short article on his Substack um, called Eight Ball, which is, it's really not for everybody. It's in, it's for people in my world, in the world of like marketing and media and, and uh, that type of thing. But uh, he wrote an article called uh, something about the vibe shift and he breaks out the last few eras of culture. And he says that the last era of culture was, was, um, hype beast woke and mm-hmm. like that that was the last five years or four years and he marks that it is the end of that and we're now shifting to another vibe and he hints very strongly that the vibe we're shifting to is a much more right-wing one and uh-huh. you know involving catholicism eastern orthodox smoking cigarettes uh all these kind of things you're not supposed to do all these thinkers you're not supposed to think about um, mm-hmm. and you see that very strongly reflected in places like forever magazine where all the girls are talking about catholicism and, and smoking cigarettes yeah smoking no cigarettes. I, I remember at a party telling, a, telling a girl that i'm considering converting to eastern orthodoxism just to make the conversation keep going <laughs> so yeah no the vibe shift is real i'm like yeah, you know, if I were to, you know, embrace a particular denomination, I think Eastern Orthodox is pretty based. <laughs> that's hilarious. That, yeah, that's what everybody's doing. So, um, anyway, I think he's totally right. And it, it resonated immediately. And then uh, Vanity Fair wrote the piece about the vibe shift in the context of Peter Thiel funding all these cool kid parties. And then uh, in in orbit, but, uh we saw that uh, it was really real. I mean, it was th- there was a party on Friday night that was like the coolest party you could yeah. imagine. You know, in this in this uh, really cool venue, and it was just like totally true that the world of delicious tacos, which I've been a part of for a long time, the world of BAP, the world of Curtis Yarvin, is truly intermingling with cool culture. Yeah, and I genuinely think cool culture doesn't understand it at all. Like, I yeah. think the Red Scare girls have no fucking... I mean, the Red Scare girls... No, yeah, Anna does at least. Anna, Anna gets it. I, yeah. I take that back. She does get it. But, like, the wet brain people and every everybody else, I think they have a vague notion of, like, I want to have a relationship with God. I don't want to be a total vapid slut. But beyond <laughs> that, like, I don't think they really understand what Curtis is saying. Yeah. I mean, I think mileage may vary with some of the cool kid crowd. I th- again, like we said, Anna probably gets... I think others... You know, it's it's one of those things where you things start as um, sort of pretentious yes. or post ironic, mm-hmm. quote unquote. But then the, the real thing can follow. So I think, I do think if, if one's hope, and I'm not necessarily saying this is my hope, but if one's hope is that there's a big right wing shift in the youth, well, hell, it probably is my hope. Um, if if one's hope is that there's, there, I think there is reason that to think that could happen. But it starts as this kind of pretentious. Oh, this is you know cultural intrigue, which was always kind of the the goal for some of us, I think. Definitely. No, um, I, I totally agree. And it doesn't matter. Let me just clarify that I don't, 
think it matters at all that they don't really fully get it. I think it's so great and so awesome. And like, it's just amazing yeah. actually happening. I, I don't think I really, you know, believed fully in what we're doing until now, until, until that forever magazine party. I think yeah. that that was the moment that I was like, Boom. Well, like, it's, it's it's like you said. Yeah, the you mentioned you're not a, tacos. Sorry, Dan, what's it's that? Women. Yeah. It's like you said on the episode with tacos. It's the women. Yeah. Once women show up to these parties, suddenly it becomes real. It becomes like because you know without them, it's just kind of like oh, who knows if this will ever be successful? Who knows like if people will ever listen? But if hot girls are at a party, people <laughs> will come to that party regardless. So right. like yeah, that is social proof. Yeah, right you've been there. talking about that yeah. on, on tacos. Oh, tacos up. But yeah, like um, you mentioned that you're you're more of an IRL guy than an online guy, and I think uh, and you also mentioned that you know earlier in life there'd been this tension between wanting to live, lead a successful life and 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 wanting to interact with people like BAP. I still think there is that tension. I still think you have to be careful what you say oh, of course, and what of course, you say yeah. under your name and under yeah. your face. But at the same time, and just personally, I've had that tension too. And, less as ever since that yeah forever mag party and other things i i felt that tension a lot less you know I, it feels like we are part of something that is yes politically of the right but also culturally ascendant and you still have to be careful yeah. but there's more of a safety net there because there is a more of a network of people who are are willing to sort of go to bat for you potentially or at least you know there's there's this whole middle ground of people who you know because the, the risk with with, you know, 2016, 2017 days is that everything was like getting channeled toward the extremes. And all of a sudden you could be labeled as like Nazi, whereas now it's almost the opposite. Now it's like people who are more extreme, it's like, oh, but they're actually just kind of part of this cultural milieu. And like, this is like kind of okay. Um, it's feeling more like that. I don't want to be too overconfident about it, but what's yeah, that down? Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, I didn't think about this, but yeah, it coincides pretty closely to the Forever Mag Party and like, you know, various things that happened in New York when I decided to um, uh, drop the voice shift and go with my real voice, because I just I think I intuited on some level that like, yeah, you know, enough people are on board that fuck it. Like, yeah, I might lose my job, but I won't become unemployable. Yeah, this is something I think about all the time. And I, I think that we are at a moment, right? We're at a bridge moment. You know, speaking of Nietzsche, right? Nietzsche wants us all to be the bridge to the Superman. So, so we are at a bridge moment now where dominoes are falling with, with people like us. And I think all three of us are kind of in the same, the reason why we are very comfortable, like I'm very comfortable around you guys is because I think we're all these bridge people. You know, yeah. we're, we're here to say it is now time to start building this bridge to real change, to real culture. And that's, I, look, the frogs, I completely love them. And I completely respect the fact that they want to stay anonymous. I, I get it. I it allows them so much more freedom than any of us have, you know, this particularly than yeah. I, I can't say half the shit they can say. And then somebody needs to be able to say that stuff. I get it. But the thing that I would say is they have to stop being so afraid about bridge people. They have to stop being so afraid about bringing it into life. Because yeah. if it if it just stays balkanized over there, it's never going to get past this phase of just this kind of clownish. Absolutely, thing. you know. I mean, no, it, that's, that's yeah. very true. It I mean, it already. Yeah. It's. It, I, I'm, they're not doing a bad job of it. They are allowing it. I just notice, like when I'm, you know, DMs, DMing somebody on Twitter, I'm like, hey, what about like meeting up? 
that immediately it's like you're a fucking narc you know what i mean it's yeah, like it's yeah. automatically i must be a fucking narc even though i like i would have to be the best narc ever by now maybe <laughs> i am but i'm not but you know it's like um i understand their fear but what what is the fear now what is the yeah. fucking fear you know like what yeah. are you afraid of you're afraid of what like I mean, I guess you're afraid of what happened to the Silk Road guy, right? You're afraid of what happened to uh, the the Gums guy. What's his name? The uh, uh, what is that Cody guy's name? from Texas? Yeah, Cody, Cody. Cody Wilson. Yeah. And look, yeah. that's a legitimate fucking fear. I mean, both those guys did it to themselves, to be honest. I mean, particularly Silk Road guy. I think. Yeah, they well, I mean, Cody, they were like but... breaking federal laws. Right, so, right, right. I mean, like uh, indeed, federal laws are being twisted now to catch well, our yeah, guys. And they'll they'll but try like, and trap you. But I mean, like. Sure you know creating like fake guns the real guns that's like that's like real federal law that's not what like i'm saying, saying is like, right. and, and, <laughs> and cody i mean cody's not in jail he got helped out you know there's a lot <laughs> of, of help so and you know the silk road guy tried to kill somebody so it's like yeah as, as yeah, i we mean are not fucking doing anything illegal. like genuinely we're not. no oh yeah and and what are what are we so afraid of you're afraid of what getting getting outed you're afraid of getting you know going to jail like aren't we men we're sitting around here talking about how we want to be a bunch of fucking cowboys you know so let's be cowboys you know like let's fucking do it you know like if we're so afraid this is the thing the left say what you will about the fucking left they don't struggle with fear the way we do because our fucking prefrontal cortex is we're too we're too responsible yeah you know what i mean like like they're they don't have the the they're blessed with a lack of responsibility so they're well they're willing to go to these places mm-hmm. whereas we're all so responsible we're so careful and that can be a huge weakness for us i think yeah uh, as well and and i think that that's the phase that we're at now it's like you know we're not I, I, by the way i just want to say i'm literally not talking about anything illegal at all i genuinely i'm not hinting i'm not dog whistling yeah, I'm literally yeah. just saying you know we can be who we are outwardly you know and and not worry so much and i do think that there are uh institutions there's enough institutions on our side now that we are not going to have to worry about not eating you know which is not really a real fucking worry anyway yeah like it's not that's not gonna happen so yeah yeah. anyway that's my meet up in public at the very they, least, you can go to. At the very least, you can meet up in public. At the right. very least, yeah. you can hang out with each other. Like you're not gonna. The feds aren't gonna like swoop down and be like, "Okay, you're all arrested." And then like you know, the guy who like organized it is like you know, uh, like ah, I got you guys. Well, they might. And look, there are narcs for well, sure. Well, there sure, there, but I mean, like, among us. we have to accept that. But that's never gonna change. And and okay, we're gonna get arrested for what? You know, but, I mean, that's uh, what I mean. We're gonna like, go to jail for. Well, what? that's that's what you know, I mean. Like, not for like talk yeah. going to like you know to hang out with other frogs. Like right. if you're like planning something, yeah, yeah, then maybe you're gonna go to jail, but like not to hang out and talk about Blade Runner. Yeah, right, right. Like, let's yeah. talk about Schopenhauer there. in public. Like, is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, not to anticipate too much one of your questions that you put on yeah. our outline, no, but yeah. Well, no, no, not even. Well, we'll get oh. to the book, but oh, I'm okay. talking about like the um. You mentioned like the notion of of um, ownership of space. Like at some point, that does have to come offline. You know. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Okay. Right. So this is this is my big, this is my big respectful question to Bat, and you know it's just like I'm bowing to Batman. I have he's you know the best. Curtis, fucking the man. You know, Curtis is the godfather of all this shit. 
But but what I ask them is, if this is about space, when does it become about space? Yeah. You know, if, if this is about ownership of space, which it 100% is, I got, I'm, I live in Pasadena. I got pepper sprayed mm-hmm. here because I was moving homeless shit out of the street. I was trashed. I was coming home. I was pissed off. There's a bunch of homeless shit in the street and I kicked it all out of the way. I walked another block, three young white dudes. I don't know who they were. I don't know what it was. Ran up behind me. They're like, hey, man, hey, man. I had my big glasses on. I turn around. I'm like, all right, I guess it's time to fight. And they came up to me and they pepper sprayed me in the face and ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I, I was like, this is it. This is the the battle for space is real. And it's now. And you see it in front of you every second. You see space being destroyed. And especially if you live in L.A. Yeah. um, I'm going to bracket this for later, but uh, we, we should definitely talk a little bit about life in LA and the, and the, the politics and the Rick Cruz of it all. But, but yeah, no, yeah, to keep, sure. to keep on point for now. No, um, yeah, no, I, no, 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 not you, not you. Um, no, it's, it's all absolutely relevant. And, um, and I get what you're saying to stick with the vibe shift a little bit um, just, just to define it a little more with a little more of a, a fine point to it. Do you think the vibe shift is like a rebrand of the alt, right? Or what exactly is it is it um because i'm of the opinion it's yeah i'm of the opinion it's a lot simpler than that what do you think it is so i i think and i I, this is um you you know you you, your your respectful question to to bap mine to i guess delicious tacos i really don't mean this in a combative way i just happen to disagree with him on this point he's been talking a little bit it's funny because he's he is right that this is the process for a lot of things he talks about how like uh, racism or like casual racism or like jokey racism is about to become cool and it's going to go mainstream. And then because it goes mainstream, it's going to get lame. Same that happened with weed and like homosexuality, which is a funny concept because he's right in the case of weed and homosexuality. But I don't think he's right that um, that anything explicitly racist or just anything really explicitly right wing or even explicitly trad is about to go as mainstream as he seems to be conveying. He's talked about this on Twitter. He talked about it on your podcast a bit. Um, I think that those kinds of more, in the case of race, you know, casual racism, dangerous, you know, socially dangerous ideas, and even the more traditional, like the, the harder edge traditionalist stuff, I think those are kind of, the vibe shift and the, and the kind of cool kids attracted to the vibe shift recognize the energy there and are going to touch it from a distance uh, but I don't think there's just no, no one's going to put money behind those. Maybe, maybe traditionalism, but definitely not the racism. No one's going to put like money behind those and in, into sanctioning them. Those are not going mainstream. So for as much I, racist. Ideas. Yeah. 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 Uh, for, I do think there's a vibe shift, but I don't think it's going to go that far to the point where there's going to be any kind of authoritarian right-wing notions that are going to enter into our lives enter into the at mainstream. all. Yeah. So I disagree with tacos there and, because what I think the vibe shift is, to keep it really simple, uh, is basically just kids, uh, kids and, and you know, young adults uh, recognizing that wokeness and the hype dad woke thing is a cultural dead end. It doesn't produce anything. It, not only does it not produce stuff that's worthwhile, at some point it just stops being productive of any you know, notion beyond you can't say this. And I think all the vibe shift really is, is people realizing that and sort of thinking of what you know, thinking around it, I, I think I, I won't over explain. I think just basically that's all it is, is it, you know, is what it sounds like. It's a vibe shift away from wokeness and what it is, isn't yet fully defined, but for the most part, it's not going to go too far. Um, I do think it's a good time to be a podcast like I mean, ours. 
I think in that sense, tacos isn't entirely wrong in that, like, it is a vibe shift toward not like it depends on what we mean by racism right if like by now like by the woke standard if you're like not you know saying like uh this is on x land like that's racist like yeah like you know it the vibe shift is kind of toward a more casual attitude toward race and whatever but it is not a vibe shift toward merchant memes it is not a vibe shift toward you know uh the various other things that are in our sphere and like that will never be accepted by the mainstream that will never because it runs entirely contrary to the you know the dominant narrative that they've been propagating since the war yeah and it's just it's, it can't be it can't be assimilated and nor the, the like the girls who show up at the forever mag party nor would they countenance that they wouldn't accept that they would be they they like the kind of like jokey whatever right but like if it got too deep They'd be like, oh, that's gross. Oh, that's ugly. And like, and yeah, maybe sometimes it is gross and ugly, but I am, um, you know, also yeah. it's, um, you know, it's a political thing. So, um, I will say never been against tacos. He is that guy in terms of predicting things. He's right. He's always right. I remember like early on in the pandemic, he was like, we're all going to get this. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> really? And that was, and he was 100% right. But look, I think when he's saying that he's not, um, I mean, I'm with you guys. I don't see how that could possibly happen yeah, yeah. personally. But I think maybe what he's saying is these annoying people are going to be annoying no matter what they're being annoying about. You know, they're, they're going to find some way to try to control you, to try to... Um, yeah, they're going to find some way to get in your face and assert their authority. And I think he's what he's just saying is basically like, if it's not about this thing, it's going to be about something else. And yeah. as we progress, maybe uh, that's going to shift to people who are, you know, kind of gynocratic, 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 like, you know, nurse ratchets who were being run by now, they're, they're never going to stop existing. Yeah. You know, it's like, they're going to find some way to exist no matter, even if we overthrew the whole thing. Right. And like went right. back to real America. I mean, those yeah. people still exist there too. So, I mean, I guess the way I could look at it. So another way of defining how I would define the vibe shift is it's a reaction to an overcorrection or like a profound overcorrection in this case, wokeness being a, a really, really severe overcorrection, you know, based on whatever racism. Um, and, uh, the vibe shift is a, is a, re again, a reaction to an overcorrection. There is, I guess, a risk of an overcorrection to an overcorrection. Well, that is the pendulum be. of culture. There will be, right. there um, but fundamentally, I, um, I think that I do think it's going to be a better time. There's going to be a marginal, you know, sort of right-wing ideas are going to be marginally more acceptable and they're going to be kind of seen as cool. They already are. Um, but at the same time, um, I think all the vibe shift really is, is some, it's, it's, I don't think it's entered the, it's certainly not over, entered the overcorrection stage yet. I think all it is right now is, and this is also, this isn't me downgrading it. Cause I think this is great again. Cause I'm, I'm not exactly, you know, capital C conservative either. Um, I, I, I too, you know, enjoy like the, you know, the, the artsier stuff and, and, and that whole lifestyle. So I think that the, all the vibe shift is for now is, is, is basically, people moving towards freedom yeah. um, and i know that sounds really um yeah. sort of degenerate actually but you know what i mean like in a in a cultural sense moving towards free expression, free expression. um away from 
you know, the restrictions uh, thereon. There's well, a healthy process. And not just free expression, free action as well, because, you know, we're, we're, we now have laws in California where you have to have two women on your corporate board, yeah. which is so un-American. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, are you kidding me? What is this? Just yeah. total communism? Like, no, you're supposed to, if a baron is yeah. about anything, it's about building your organizations, whatever weird way you want to build them. And I think, uh, well, the, I mean, that gets into the whole, Go go on, sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, well, that, that gets into the whole uh, age of entitlement. Christopher Caldwell wrote a book about how yeah, the original great book, Constitution. Right? That's a great book. It, it's on my shelf. I haven't read it yeah, yet, yeah. but I'm familiar with the thesis, which is uh, that the original Constitution has been essentially supplanted by the Civil Rights Act. And like, yeah, eventually, and I'm reading the stakes by Anton right now. And uh, Anton, I mean, he, you don't have to be a genius to predict this, but he predicts that um, the Constitution will be dead very soon. Uh, to the extent it already, you know, is still alive, that that's going to go away because the Civil Rights Act is going to eat, eat all. And that's true. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. as a lawyer, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Am I allowed to reveal anything about you, Dan? Oh, no. no yeah, 100 okay, percent. I've been I'm, avoiding like yeah. saying anything. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm a lawyer. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. You are also a lawyer. And, and it's true. I mean, that book, that Caldwell book is great. And it's, he really I, lays I need out to read it. how the Civil Rights Act essentially destroyed the Constitution. It, it destroyed yeah. the most, the, the guarantees that are in the Constitution about Freedom. your right to organize, your right to associate, your yeah, right to associate, the right to run your business the way you see fit were basically destroyed by the civil well, rights. And they, and, they I mean, essentially declare everywhere, everywhere an area of public accommodation. Yeah. So if you're yeah. you have a small business, suddenly it's like, oh, you can't control who comes and goes. You can't control. You have to, you know, have all the equal employment or whatever because you're a public accommodation. Well, but guess what? It's not a public accommodation. Twitter. Twitter <laughs> isn't a public accommodation. Facebook isn't a public accommodation. Right. It's the only real means of publishing yourself of left available, yeah. but it's not a public but accommodation. Not, right. But a mall is. Like a public yeah, it's a mall. mall. A mall. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that yeah. I think you probably remember from law school, that case that challenged the Civil Rights Act was this case of a black trucker that couldn't stop along the road in some yeah, place. Yeah. So they did interstate commerce. That's not yeah. fair because interstate commerce, he should be able to do be a trucker, which is true. You know, like, yeah. like he should be able to be a trucker. Like a black person should not be able to not be a trucker. They should definitely <laughs> be able to be a trucker. And, or they should be able to, you know, enjoy the same right to do whatever they want, just like the rest of us. So you understand, like, I get why that argument was so effective, but they never thought about, okay, in making that okay and making it so that no private business can discriminate against everything. Yeah. That's for the trucker. That's right. That's justice. That's good. We want that. But yeah. there, what, the sacrifice you're, you're coming with that is just yeah. so it's like, so well, I would say also it's the realize. size of the business. Yeah. Like if you're a McDonald's, yeah. Right. But if you're like Joe's trucker shack, like I, you know, uh, this, this is the new, right. I, I can say this, I think. Yeah, you should be able to say who comes into your restaurant, and uh, right. yeah. And I, without that, what are we? We're not even. Yeah. A, we're not even. A, we're a comp. We're basically a government. We're we're basically communist. Yeah. Right? Without no, it, I, I, then, I, you know. No, I. I, I we're I, we're an economic zone and yeah. not a country, and that's right. been true for very long. So. 
Yeah. Or not not very long in the context of America, but very long in the context of uh, our own lives, our whole lives. Yeah. All right, well, I think it's almost time to move into the literary <laughs> uh, <laughs> portion of the conversation. But I gotta, I gotta say, winners and losers of the vibe shift. Okay. Your article on hype dads is hilarious. If you just okay. want to say what a hype dad is, so a hype dad article. is, is yeah. uh, and this is really a very real thing. They are the deep state of the marketing world, yeah. and so the deep state of the marketing world is absolutely chock full of this same type of white guy who has <laughs> a wave of hope of hype beast woke, right? Per Sean, Sean Manan. And they make so much money, these guys. Yeah. They make half a million dollars a year more working as creative directors at these agencies or in-house at Amazon, whatever it is. And they all have this really similar vibe. And the reason why people resonate with that is that people know this guy so well yeah, he yeah. owns he owns at least one expensive surfboard and or bike. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, what's yeah. funny about the article is that you you pinpoint it kind of the same way that Monaghan pins point things with Normcore. It's like, holy shit, that's a real thing. Yeah. Hype yeah. dad too. Yeah. We're going. It's, yeah. It's this type of white dude who it has just kind of grifted for so long and is totally clueless about everything. He doesn't even really he works like a couple hours a day, you know, and, and he spends the rest of his time like, you know who knows like listening to again, Kendrick Lamar yeah listening to Kendrick Lamar <laughs> and, and Pod Save America and like yeah you know going to Pete Buttigieg like two thousand dollar a plate dinners in his town so uh you know these guys are everywhere and they everyone hates them the, the funny thing that's great is that both left and right equally hate these guys because they're so full of shit and yeah. uh they uh, they run the marketing world and they um really they they oh they're very woke and they've used wokeness to get ahead but now the clock has run out on them because even the left-wing people are like you're just totally pretending like you don't care at all so uh yeah i think those guys are definitely a loser of that of that world one guy i would check uh, speaking of like the anti-hype dad there's a guy brett craig who was uh basically a hype dad but he was conservative he was you know top creative director at deutsch he <clears throat> he got canceled for an email in which he called a uh black person that was auditioning for a role too urban uh, so <laughs> he got canceled for that which anybody in our industry even the wokest people were like that's not really fair because it's his job to comment yeah. on the people so he was sort of this like uh, casualty and he just recently became head of creative for Daily Wire. So he oh. sort of like rehabbed himself and reformed himself into this vibe post vibe shift creative director on, on our side of things. Yeah. Um, so I've talked to him a little bit and he's, uh, I mean, he's kind of a normie. He's not really, you Sweet. Know, he doesn't read any of the stuff we read, but he, uh, yeah, he's a no, great guy I to follow figure. because he's really somebody who knows how to do this stuff like way better than me. And now he's flipped. He's like flipped sides. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, answering your question? Uh, or did you? Yeah, no, I, I, I mostly just wanted to, to yeah. mention the hype that thing because it's a okay. hilarious article yeah. that, that people should read. And it's a good example. The kind of writing you do and also the kind of social trends and intersecting with branding that you talk about. So I think it's still maybe the, 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 the article pinned on your blog. Yeah, uh, perhaps for good reasons. Um, anyone who wants to check out Isaac's work should read that. But Isaac's work aside, we're also yeah. going to talk about my yeah, work this today. This is also my podcast. God. Um, uh, yeah. So no, Matt. Let's talk about. Let's shift. 
vibe shift. Let's talk about <laughs> your book, Dragon's it's Day. Very good novel. Great. So I was really, I, I, outside of Delicious Tacos, a lot, a lot of the other writers in our sphere, I of course support them, but I haven't really found myself being like a avid reader of them. That's not nothing against them. That's just like my taste. Yeah. You know, again, I'm a Bukowski person. So that's like, I read, you know, that type of, I read pretty like, you know, I read uh, Cormac McCarthy. Right. Yeah. I read, um, uh, that kind of stuff. So, um, but your book really reminded me of Welbeck, who is no higher compliment. I don't even know if I deserve it, but thank you. <laughs> well, so, so what I was so, I really was surprised. I, I, not, I, I don't know what I was really expecting. I, I guess I was expecting something more. The, the, first of all, the cover of your book. Can we talk about the cover? Yeah, we book? can talk about the cover. The cover of your book. Someone was making fun of it on Twitter is, recently. So. Is this like anime looking dragon with a, it's not a black sun, but it's like a. Uh, and something else that it's splits the difference. It's a it's a chaos star, actually. It's a chaos. So what yes. is a chaos star? Um, that is, uh, it's a symbol that um, I learned about first from Ale- uh, Russian philosopher Alexander Dugan. Oh, dude, I'm a big Dugan guy. Yeah, uh, me too. Oh, um, nice. And I became fascinated, as I think a lot of people are, with the kind of more occult element of of Dugan's thought, which sounds silly, but like it's very present there. He cites Crawley, Alistair Crawley as an influence, and again, um, the Chaos Star is the symbol of the of, of the Eurasianist movement. Oh. And uh, but I, but my book is not really about Eurasianism per se. Uh, Dugan is not mentioned by name, although I think there's uh, it's somewhat not that I'm satirizing Dugan's ideas. It's just that I'm, I'm kind of just taking some degree of influence from some of the more uh, esoteric or mystical elements uh, of Dugan and, and combined with his sort of right of center or as he would call it forth political theory position. And I'm kind of putting it in a fictional voice. I'm not satirizing it per se, but I am, you know, making my own sort of version, fictionalized version. Yeah. So that's where that comes from. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, the cover uh, is done by Matt Lawrence. Who's the same guy who does tacos covers, the same uh... guy who does our new right logo. He's uh, one of our, uh, not propagandist, but one of our, like, you know, of the DR of yeah. the, you know, he, he's one of the main guys doing art, main guys doing art, also the first oh, guest right. on this podcast. Oh, awesome. um, you know, I, I like the cover. And the, uh, people... Art director for Terror House Press as well. Yes. Yeah. All the Terror House covers. Nice. Uh, some, some guy was making fun of the cover saying like, it doesn't match the book, which maybe I, think I, I, I said that. You said that. No, I was. Uh, there was someone else who was more <laughs> negative who was like, what is this dragon penis book or something? Oh. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it totally matches the tone, but but it also it's. I mean, what do you what do you think of the cover? Yeah. I don't. The cover just to me looks like a Dungeons and Dragons board game thing. So like when I'm looking at this, <laughs> yeah. when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking it's like a nerd, super nerd book about. Yeah. I don't even know. I I just I wasn't expecting a Welbeckian book about yeah. a young man traversing it's first of all it's short it's very short 120 and, pages yeah, yeah and it's very um it's like striking what's the word it's like it's like a discomfitting right off the bat there's an anal rape scene in the first time <laughs> you're totally not ready for it. and it's like it's very in the same way that Welbeck is very raw and in your face sexual simultaneously mixing with really complex scientific academic ideas 
it's the same thing here. And this cover for me, I was thinking it's going to be much more like irony, uh, kind of like, um, well, who's the guy? Harassment architecture. Huh. Like what? Or like ironic, disaffected Dungeons and Dragons. Whereas this is like a piece of literature. You're, oh. you're really like going for literature level. Yeah, definitely. I mean, know? that's definitely what I was going for. Yeah. And so that was <laughs> yeah. surprising and great. I think um, when you get into the ideas themselves, they're really cool. And I guess what I want to ask is the, the sort of central Welbeckian idea. So Welbeck always, Welbeck always does this thing where he, 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 I feel like he has this formula. It's he picks a field of study like, here, I actually let me look. Sure. So in like Huizman, he's Huizman's scholar yeah. in submission, which is my favorite right. of his, and it's all about literary criticism. In uh, serotonin, it's like agro science. Yeah, there's food. like a there's a not what's the word? I, I know what you're saying. There's a, there's like this intellectual sort of autistic yeah thing yeah. that forms a plot point. Right, and then um, in elementary particles, he gets deep into biology. Right. But he like really dives into these fields. It's not like it's not like a sort of superficial. It's like a real deep dive in. Yeah. It. Then yeah. he combines that with like super, um, like graphic sex, which is comes as a surprise because it's like a, a, a paradox with the or not a paradox, a juxtaposition with the depth of this academic study so it's like he'll be talking about his dick then i'll be talking about like really advanced biological ideas and then there's a um lo-fi sci-fi or fantasy element that resembles real life and is sort of prefacing things that really happen and i feel like your book had each of those characteristics so i guess i want to ask where did the inspiration from this book come from Oh, um, basically it started in autobiography. Uh, thankfully, none of the major plot points are autobiographical, <laughs> but uh, they ca- I, I started writing it when I was the age of Toby in the okay. book. Yeah. I started okay. writing it when I was like, which is embarrassing because I'm 27. So I, but I took years and years of um, I, I not writing it and I just kind of came back to it, um, you know, a couple of years before I ended up getting published. Um, but but the original ideas all came from from being a, uh, socially troubled college freshman, and then, um, but the literary philology element, which is the sort of in in, in my book's case, the the literary criticism sort of you know autistic thing that it leans into as a, as a sort of symbol. That um, that I mean well, that also say what it is. So literary uh, philology in this book, yeah, this idea that we should measure the quality of a writer or a thinker by their dick size. Yeah. Or that, that, I mean, that's like going to be a field of study. Yeah. Field of study. And that that can be precisely determined through a method of close reading called the algorithm. (laughs) Um, That was really really funny. That too is, I guess you could call it autobiographical because I was at a, you know, the school I went to um, as many, many, many English departments across the country, um, you know, it was kind of, you know balls deep in this uh you know critical theory yeah. and um post-psychoanalytic theory and Jacques Lacan and and all and Foucault and all those people so there was this constant um you know there's there always this regression to kind of talking about sex and fucking and uh. and um power dynamics which by the way I think 
power dynamics and sex are, um, and you were saying this on to- your podcast with Taco, it's like everything is about getting laid on someone. There's some of it's true in short. There is, there is kind of this sexual undercurrent and this undercurrent of sexual competition behind things. Um, but I also found it could be reductive of literature. And I, that, that basically is the idea that the, the philology thing uh, is sort of satirizing. Um, but again, yeah, like it is, there is that element uh, within things. So it was kind of this double thing where it's satirizing it, but also like I myself am writing a book about, um, you know, power dynamics. Uh, and there's this notion of being read um, literally when your work is read, but then like socially, like the way people look at you and form conclusions about you within a split, you know, talk about this in, in game and POA and stuff and how a woman, you know, has, the, has an idea of you within the first moments of meeting. Um, that kind of note, it still is now, but especially when I was a younger man was very much on my mind, that kind of crippling self-consciousness. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that Toby's self-consciousness in the book um, is kind of related to that self-conscious notion of like, I'm going to write of, of literally having your work read and dissected by, um, you know, the, the literary critics of the world to the point where they're going to like, know know your dick size or, you know, strip you <laughs> naked. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. there was some kind of notion that I, I and you know, growing up, um, or going to college in the, the proto woke era. And th- this was before nowadays you hear this bandied about we obviously talk about in the podcast like how are you supposed to write anything when it's constantly has to go by the woke censors in 2014 2015 well, around the time i was starting putting the notes together for this that was i was still first coming into that sort of notion of like holy shit like i actually can't write because it's going to be um you know stripped away uh basically by by wokeness so i think some of that ties into it too not that wokeness is all about determining your dick size but it is about De- depowering you in some way i think i mean it's about taking away your dick size yeah it's about it's about uh castration perhaps so i think that yeah obviously the novel is about a troubled young college freshman socially subconscious that was all autobiographical and then the literary element kind of tied in that personal self-consciousness in where i felt that like literature and literary culture was heading towards this place where you couldn't express anything without being you know totally taken down six pegs so did you ever experience any censorship yourself in college like actual did so, you ever turn anything in that was then really problematic or anything i i may differ from a lot of people in our sphere here where like i'm i'm a little more mild mannered I, I feel like i um i actually wrote some of some of Dragon Day uh, in the form of a short story. And I think I always had, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, because maybe I should have been more combative in college. Maybe that would have done me good. But I was always good at framing things in a certain way. So I remember when I when I submitted uh, a chapter of Dragon Day, I don't remember which part exactly, but when I submitted it to a creative writing class, you know, it was largely a, a left of center slash woke crowd in the class. But I was like, this, I think I said, and I, by the way, I may have partially meant it at the time. I was young. I was confused, whatever. Uh, I said, like, this is like, this is a parody of toxic masculinity. Boom. You know, it's like, there's, I think good literature, I'm not saying I'm like a great writer, but I think when you're, when you're writing something, it's not super on the nose as to what you're talking about. Um, like there are, at the end of the day, there are like no liberals and even woke liberals who, and probably even some hype dads who, who read well back. You know, it's like, there's, we know that these people are based and that their work has a force that is very based and very illuminating 
But if you're writing literature and you, the, the goal of literature is, you know, people like David Foster Wallace accurately point out, you know, it's to get you in someone else's skin and get you in their shoes. Um, I still think, and you know, as bad as woke is, I still think there is, you can do that in a way where you can, where you can approach some dangerous ideas, even within a more censorious environment. So I actually got pretty positive feedback. A lot of people were like, oh, wow, this is, you know, the penis story. They probably called it because it was probably that scene where he's like worried about his dick size or whatever. Um, yeah, I got a, a lot of good feedback from, from, you know, men, women. Yeah. So um, you just, so actually it. in short, not really. I, 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 re- I think I kind of realized I had it. I didn't want to get to the point, uh, you know, where I was like the, you know, viewed overly censored or, I mean, obviously there was comments like, Oh, like, are you sure you should be saying this, that, and the other thing that's inevitable, but I was never like totally shouted down because I always framed it. I think the right way. So yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like you framed it. You said, Oh, it's really, you know, you kind of said, Oh, it's a, it's a parody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, a oh, it's, it's about like how toxic that, that male right, mindset. Can be. I mean, if you, if you gave someone, some, right. someone delicious tacos book and said that they'd probably be like, Oh, Oh yeah, totally. Like, totally. No, yeah. no. Yeah. It's a parody. Oh yeah. 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 Well, but that is self castration in a way, right? Because then, <laughs> so, then you're, you know, yeah. you're saying, so, well, and it's good enough that, yeah, it's, it just, it's clear. Yeah. I think that you could get away with it. So you never faced any of that. You never, you never got faced any cancellation or. Uh, uh, yeah. Like I've never, I've never been canceled yet. Any, uh, it could anything, happen. Never any, uh, anybody getting you in trouble? No, no, no trouble. No trouble um, so far. Well, that's great. That's good. I've lost friends, it. you that's know, good. here and there, but like, yeah, never, never real trouble. Never real cancellation. Oh, okay. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I, yeah, I've faced a lot of it and it's, it's rattling. It's really rattling. I, you, you get used to it, but um, anyway, so, so tell me why. So the, the book is about um, this young man, Toby, who falls in with this professor named Wallingford. Right. And Wallingford at first appears like this woke guy. And yeah. then he, almost a hype dad. Basically yeah. a hype dad, <laughs> kind of a professor star. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, just full spoilers. So Toby gets raped in the first thing by a guy, <laughs> and then the guy—he's kind of unsure if it's Wallingford or not. Or not. He thinks yeah. maybe it is, and then Wallingford sort of like brings him into his world. He starts inviting him to his apartment in in New York or where? Yeah, he has. And, uh, yeah. He he holds special lectures. Yeah, because he's yeah. a little uh, off the grid. He's, he's like kind a of star. A... Yeah, and then he's got this like kind of sidekick Jurgen. Who yeah, is, like who's where does this character of Jurgen come? So from? the character of Jurgen, I always imagine looking a little bit like um, what's that guy's name, Mike Enoch or something. Um, and <laughs> basically, oh. it turns out that Jurgen is uh, sort of like I guess he now like like imagine like a post vibe shift, like New York intellectual who like is also like a not like really really red <laughs> like too red pill. <laughs> Um, that's that kind Wait, of character. Mike Enoch, isn't he the, he's the TRS guy. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And a New Yorker. So I always imagine, but he's a fat, fat mofo. That, that is, that is not untrue. So yeah. Jurgen may be a little more fit than that, but nevertheless, well, I, I, I imagine like the, the white polo wearing aviator sunglasses, uh, just like your classic, like Charlottesville, all right. Guy. Oh, and okay. That, I yeah. totally was visualizing something completely different because so Jürgen, we, yeah. I mean, Jurgen, I was visualizing like, you know, like uh, 
uh ryan gosling barbie like I, oh. you know i was visualizing like tight shirt, you know like, maybe that was yeah, the better and by the way i i don't know if we'll get into this later in the book i mean i I've re- i wrote this book a while ago now and like there's things i would change no no dude, dude, <laughs> and maybe that would have been maybe that would have been the direction no um, it doesn't matter it's but... it's just it's just an interesting character to add because it's like i was just wondering like where he adds a lot of flavor to it but i was just wondering like now i'm understanding you're saying you wanted to have this kind of quiet right-wing force yeah a bit, a bit of connective tissue because yeah, yeah as you yeah. said wallingford is a ostensibly woke sort of uh even like far left sort of marxisty professor but um again spoiler alert but i don't i i, I don't believe in spoilers i believe in like you know I, I, when i hear the end of a book sometimes it makes me want to read it yeah but anyway you know wallingford ends up to be a, a sort of crypto fascist um uh in, in a sort of again with dugan a kind of weird like neither you know the the fusion of left and right but you know, crypto fascist nonetheless. And the character of Jurgen's a bit of a connective tissue there, where it's like this is his connection to the because the book is set in 2015. So connective tissue to like an identity Europa style God. group. Oh, and okay. uh, and, like and then they kind of initiate Toby. And um if I if I'm gonna talk about what I would have changed, I I I should have shown a bit more of that, I think. I think the book's shorter than it could be. It's definitely shorter than it could be. I think um no, but now I I think that that makes a ton of sense. He's like the operator. He's like the like the shadowy operator. No, that yeah. I think that that actually really makes a ton of sense. So what happens is uh, it so Toby gets falls in with this guy, and then it's kind of like Wallingford just totally dominates it. Basically. Yeah, psychologically, it starts with the the rape, which is obviously physical, but in time, it's a full psychological rape. domination. Yeah. Um, yeah a little bit a little bit like and this is a little bit over the top but like what we're talking about with branding it's like if edward bernays had like a not not to besmirch his name too much but you know if, if he had like if he, if he focused all of his propagandistic power on one individual and indeed we, i talk about sigil magic and some of these kind of weird occulty topics that are a little bit downstream from some of the branding notions and you know logos um it's like if you focused all that psychological attention i was kind of influenced by a lot of these kinds of ideas about social control yeah, uh, the yeah, novel yeah, if i had yeah. to put it in nutshells about social it's control. about control yeah yeah i actually yeah. it was called control for a while oh cool and um cool, cool. maybe i should have kept it that way and i would have, the cover wouldn't have a dragon <laughs> on it but uh, <laughs> yeah no um yeah basically a dragon day is a good title I mean, yeah, really I think it's grabs you. I, I, I don't regret the title, but um, Control is also the name of that Ian Curtis. Exactly. Version. And I'm a big uh, Joy Division fan. Yeah, so like yeah, that was yeah. why I liked the name. But then later it was like, do I really want to name a book after Joy Division? But um, yeah, basically Wallingford ends up, you know, it's a study in, it ends up being a, I mean, literally he takes Toby on as a personal advisee. And the whole notion was, you know, how in this, you know, kind of, what you might expect happens like Scientology or like some weird cult, like figurehead, totally controlling somebody. That's That's what was supposed to happen. Again, I would show more of it now and I'm kind of may or may not be working on a screenplay version that maybe would go for it. I was going to say, it could Um, be. I mean, it seems like a a cool... uh, It's paced like a thriller movie. So yeah, yeah, it it seems like it could be easily translated into such. 
yeah and I, it's I'm, the right time for it i will neither affirm nor deny whether or not i'm i'm cur- may currently be writing the screenplay well and give it off to the uh do you, you know the teal craig, capital or, well no craig zoller you know like you know zoller, yeah right across concrete yeah yeah um no i'm gonna work on i'm gonna try and uh like who yeah. knows we yeah. may actually have contacts with him so. Yeah. yeah, Zoller, Milius, yeah, you know, all these people who, yeah, yeah, maybe one day we're gonna be making movies. I don't know. As, we'll see. as Bab says, we need to be making movies. Yeah, new so, right productions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the question that is haunting me the most about this book is: so as it goes along, um, he gets manipulated more and more. It kind of reminded me of speaking of domination. Did you ever read the Game of Thrones books? Uh, no, I I've did. never seen Game yeah. of Thrones either. Um, but so there's a great yeah. moment when wow, I've never seen Game of Thrones. Yeah, there's a great moment. Uh, oh, by the way, just tiny segue. I loved Astro on your last. Oh yeah, just listening to him. Talk oh great, yeah. I could listen to that guy talk about literary criticism yeah. like forever. But awesome, he makes yeah. Where he says. Game of Thrones is worse than Blood Meridian, and that's why Blood Meridian couldn't get made today, which is so not true. Like Blood Meridian couldn't get made today because it's scalping Native Americans. Yeah, on right. Camera, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Game of Thrones does not have that in. Anyway, so um, uh, this goes along, and he gets controlled and controlled more. Oh, it reminded me of Game of Thrones because when uh, Theon. Greyjoy becomes Reek. Yeah. He gets totally dominated and he by uh by Ramsey and he by Ramsey Bolton <laughs> and he uh like the the narrator literally changes into this subservient yeah. thing named Reek and it's a great moment. But um so it reminded me of that when he gets totally dominated and becomes basically just like a emissary of Wallingford. Exactly. But there's this moment before he does the bombing, which is how it ends, where he goes out. I love this moment, by the way. I love when he goes out for this final night and gets in a fight with the, his girlfriends or his ex-girlfriends, like new man, and he beats him up. It's really well done. But then he goes home and he's the bomb is not there. Yes. What is that? What does that mean? Oh, um, because then this the bomb too, happens. So this too, and I don't I, I feel like this is something you're not supposed to say as writer. I am not, and I'm, again, I'm working on the screenplay now. Like, I am not sure if I will, I may change this up because I was actually told by another early reader of it or a reader before it was published that like, it was kind of like a Brett Easton Ellis-esque touch with American Psycho where you're always wondering, is he killing these people or is he just jacking off to the thought? Uh, um, and that's, that, hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm breaking the rules of talking about your own book where you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this or something. Yeah. But like, you know, earlier drafts of it, there was kind of like, was Toby even actually raped by Wallingford? Is this yeah. all Toby's fantasy? Oh. Uh, so there was that element with the bomb. I, I needed to get it to the point where I wanted, and I, again, this may, I, I may change this in future iterations of the story. But th- there's this notion of like, I wanted Toby to decide not to do the bombing, but have it still happen. So if I'm going to literally yeah, he does interpret, decide not to do it. He, he does, does decide, decide not, not to, to do it, it which yeah. again, maybe, maybe that's not the move. No, I think it's <laughs> but, cool, but I just, is the yeah. bomb. And again, you don't have to answer this because maybe, you know, again, like, you know, if you're right, maybe you just don't answer these things, but is the bomb how is it that the bomb is not there, but then it is there? I'll just give a, 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 a on the nose <laughs> answer. I think Wallingford, who is all power, not all powerful, but you know, a, 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 a witchy individual um, somehow got it. 
that that that's the notion I was going with. Wallingford got the bomb. Yeah, he had access to Toby's room for you know. But then, how does Toby get the bomb the next day? Wallingford ended up putting it in, putting in it back. In, yeah, yeah. Okay. But look, no, look, I'm just going to be honest. That needs to be spelled out a little. I don't think maybe or it doesn't or it's I mean, just it's, like really fascinating. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It would just cause a lot of curiosity. Yeah, I know. I, I think I think maybe maybe there needs to be something. I I like the moment of like holy shit, it's not there. I mean, for um, what it's worth, when yeah. I read it, I assumed it was Wallingford intuiting that Toby was going to lose his nerve and taking the bomb and making sure it happened anyways. Yeah, that's that's where I was at with it. It's like Oh, because Wallingford does it. Okay, I was reading it. Oh man, I was reading it that he still did it but he like didn't know he was doing it. Like I, I was reading it, you know I, Yeah, like, I, I mean. I, but you're saying it was in the dragon, not on him. So yeah, I, no, I, I, you know what? Yeah, I think I, I think I the way I intended it was as, as Dan read it. So like, um, and that's the way that I read it myself is like Wallingford intuited, but actually uh, maybe, maybe the move. And again, I showing how the sausage is made here, but like maybe the move and if I was going, if I'm writing the screenplay oh, that, or whatever. Maybe that works then. then maybe it works, works, but also then. there, maybe, maybe, maybe contrary to what my other early readers said, maybe, maybe the American psycho thing is fine where it's like all of a sudden you realize you're, you're dealing with the person who, you know, is uh, there's that psychological breakdown a little bit where it's like he's part of him doesn't want to do it, but part of him is doing it, and you never really. I mean, that that can work too. I just think it would need to be a little more stylized. Mm-hmm. But I, I almost I, like your interpretation. It's like he, it's gone, but then it's still there. That's but how. Then, yeah, no, yeah. I think I was. I actually think I was overthinking it because I think it, no, I just was thinking that the moment he touched it, he actually still had it on him. But there's actually no reason for me to think that. Yeah. I mean, I do look, I, I'm not even being like, you know, like cowtowing or being down myself. I think what I'm writing the screenplay to, to think a little bit more about how that plays. I well, think there's a way it can work. It just, it's a little weird right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can, for all you people out there working on your own stuff, this is the thoughts that go on in the mind of the writer. Don't think, <laughs> don't think you're alone when you're, uh, you know, uh, questioning yourself. It happens to everybody. Um, so yeah, I think that that's basically it. I guess the the last question I have is why did you choose dragon as the symbol? Um, and then we can talk about Welbeck a little bit. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, we're deep in the podcast here, so I'm just gonna say that I I did go to Cornell. I, that's public info anyway, but like, I I don't like to like super lead it uh, with it, but. Dragon Day is a real event. Oh, it, oh, it yeah, is. Yeah, you can look it up, um, and I it's. I, I really liked it as an undergraduate. Um, it the architecture students um, did this parade with the dragon. They used to actually let it on fire. That was never the case when I was there, due to you know neoliberal encroachment upon our uh, <laughs> right to do crazy shit. But um, yeah, I mean, it just I, I didn't really choose the, the dragon symbol. Again, I, when I was a college freshman, I was probably writing some things about like being self-conscious and whatever, and like being a quasi incel. No, I actually never was, but like you know what I mean. I, being like that young kind of guy, I was writing that, but but the dragon thing, in some ways, was like the first idea. I was at this Dragon Day event at Cornell, and I was like, I don't remember if I thought like, what if there was a bomb in there? I don't remember what at point what, what what point that came into it, but I was kind of struck that this felt like a modern pagan ritual and liked it and thought this was symbolic of some kind of 
face beneath the mask mm. thing. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like one of those things as a as a writer that just sort of comes to you. So, um, yeah, Dragon was one of the first original things. That said, you you, you hear like you know Jordan Peterson talking about like Slayer dragons and all this, and the dragon as kind of an ancient symbol of chaos and you know the type of like the reptile brain i think it's a pretty fecund image um but it was basically just taken from life yeah yeah cool very cool so how how influenced by welbeck were you like are you i didn't uh very 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 much i mean he's my favorite living writer one of my favorite writers period but i didn't read my first welbeck novel until i was about halfway through the book so i can't claim total inspiration more just like that he kind of helped me find my voice you know and was a i guess a, I, you know it's pretentious to call him a kindred spirit because he's higher than myself but you know what i mean like it was one of those things like, oh this you know this is the kind of writer like i i, I was like this it wasn't like i read well back and like that's the kind of writer i want to be it's like i kind of was that kind of writer yeah. now, again not on that level but nevertheless attracted to those themes and then found um well back as a as a kindred spirit yeah. yeah yeah dan are you a well back guy i am yeah i've read mission i've read serotonin i've been meaning to read elementary particles and that might be my uh, favorite. yeah yeah i i like his obviously his themes resonate with me but um also his style is uh, and this is something that Matt is very familiar with my commenting on, but he too employs a sense of uh, dramatic irony in his writing, where he writes things that are understood by the reader to be outrageous or insane, but is written in such a way that is deadpan, and it in, it implies that the the speaker, the, the narrator, doesn't understand how crazy this is. And so this is a style that um, Confederacy of Dunces has it. A lot of satirists have this type of style, Sam Lipsight. Um, actually, one of my favorite accounts, Howling Mutant, giving him a shout out, a former guest. He kind of has this style where he just says yeah. outrageous things that like the, the humor, the joke is in like the idea that he doesn't understand how crazy it is. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. when Welbeck is saying like in serotonin, like, um, yeah, my girlfriend would, uh, she didn't know that I knew that she would like to go to gangbang parties yeah. <laughs> and uh, have, you know, untold numbers of men yeah. ejaculate in her. Yeah. It like, it's the type of thing that it's just, said like so perfunctorily yeah. that it's like you know and it's just hilarious for the reader to read that so yeah no I, I really enjoy his um deadpan style which i i would say is dramatic irony and mm. uh, and his themes obviously are spot on like in serotonin when he and this is what probably what stays with me from serotonin the most when the aristocrat who has like lost his farm or whatever goes on his like you know not rampage but final stand and he like kind of like smiles with like a, a gun upraised at the the cops before they shoot him down it's just like that kind of iconic image that he manages to create in his words and like, and obviously, you know, he's attuned to the current political moment. So serotonin, the, um, the yellow jackets yeah, thing, yeah. 
um, you know, Islam in Europe, well, that's like perennial, but like, yeah, that was reaching more of a boiling point in like 2013, 2014. I mean, it's still at a boiling point, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, I mean, he was definitely early to the scene with the incel thing. Like yeah. That, oh uh, yeah. I mean, whatever came out in like 1992 or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's insanely uh, prescient. I mean, like too early almost. Oh, highly recommend. Is it about yeah. incels? Yeah, basically it's about, um, you know, that's the real incel classic as the blurb on the really? back of the book. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's oh, wait, about, but, oh, it's all good. But like, <laughs> it, it's, it, it doesn't use that word because it's about 20 years before the word was coined or more. Uh, but it's about, you have a narrator who's going through a dry spell as he says but then he has a friend who's like a 30 something virgin and yeah it's i mean whatever's i think elementary particles might be my favorite but whatever is you know is the book that started it all is you know sort of the nirvana never mind of, of Wellbeck, and it's a short book too that's probably about the same length as dragon day um yeah definitely okay so let's finish up then with a branding question just to round yep. it out. <laughs> So on the back of your book, it says Dragon Day is destined to become an incel classic. <laughs> I get. What does that mean? Does it mean that it's destined to be found in the backpack of the next incel right. shooter? I hope not. Yeah. So let's say, if is this an incel classic? Uh, not yet. Uh, and and do I even want it to be? I don't right. know. I mean, exactly. it's it's not a classic in any regard. It's. I mean, you said something nice about it. How how one day perhaps. Uh, but you know, it's kind of uh float under the radar a little bit <laughs> which sounds like a euphemism for didn't sell very well but like um it uh yeah it's it, it's not on that status where it's like really influencing the culture for better or worse and, and maybe i'm glad that it's not because you know it's i'm just happy to have it out there uh, but is it about uh, an incel uh kind of uh, it doesn't delve deeply into like the black pill language. It's not someone talking in circles or feeling sorry for himself on forums. So it's not incel in that sense, but it's what it is about. Uh, and you talked about this on your pod with tacos and we've talked about it because it's a kind of a perennial subject in our scene is the, it is about, you know, it's about social control, but it's also about sexual energy and what happens when sexual energy has no place to go. And um, in that sense, it's about someone who can't get laid and, but also more than can't get laid, can't find any socially satisfying outlet for any of their emotion or sexuality or, or energy. And what ends up happening is that, you know, it has explosive effects, mm -hmm. it manifests itself in violence. Uh, and as a psychological study, um, that is the narrative. It's also, a, you know, it's not, it's, cause you, could you, is that an incel narrative? Perhaps, um, I do think that sometimes, what happens but i also call it the paul schrader narrative um and it's something that you see in taxi driver um it's something that you see in yuki amishima or uh, mishima life in four chapters also perhaps you see in the actual life of, of yuki amishima um and, and and also uh schrader's more recent work like uh first reformed and even this movie the card counter all his books are sorry all of his movies rather are about um you know a character sort of uh, an outsider character uh, dealing with pent-up emotions, pent-up sexuality even. And it always comes out in the, the final act uh, in, a, in a violent and explosive way. Uh, oftentimes in the case of, uh, for example, Taxi Driver being the best example, to a socially beneficial end, which I think is another version of the narrative. But uh, is it an incel classic? In that sense, it follows that 
structure. It's a narrative structure. Um, you know, pent up, pent up, pent up rage explodes. Yeah. And um, then and Wallingford also talks about how like every great movement has to have that as well, right? Yeah, like, Wallingford is an right? intellectual of that kind of thinking. Right. It's like it has to have a I forget what you say. Is it a it's like an explosion. It has to have a oh, point, point of, of rupture. Point of yeah, rupture. point of penetration. Yeah, yeah, point the of sexual penetration. dialectics of political change. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, again, that double thing where it's like I'm kind of satirizing that idea, but it's also kind of true. You know, wow. that, that, that there is that sexual mirror to the way things work. Not to the point that you can determine someone's dick size by reading their words, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, these things are imbued. Our sexuality and our yearnings for that explosive finish are uh, part and parcel of, of the things we do. So if the vibe shift makes it so that all these incels get laid, is the movement over? Uh, no, uh, uh, but it, it's, it's, it, it changes it. It's again, a vibe shift. It, it, right. Yeah. It becomes much more about uh, building institutions and families and stuff rather than um, being angry online. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Dan, I realize you have to go pretty soon. Oh, yeah, no, all good, um, all good. Pretty all soon, good. yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I would call it, I mean, I think the incel classic is a very good branding line, but um, I'd say it's more like a dissident right classic. It's more, you know, about the philosophy of the DR, and that is what it's rooted in. It's, it's not really about Toby not being able to get laid. No. Hell, Toby gets laid. So <laughs> yes, uh, in some sense. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say on this is, uh, and I really neither here nor there with this, but it's kind of interesting to note because you you also want to know a little bit about publishing with Terror House. Oh which, yeah, I was. Gonna um, time for that. Listen, I, I think that if people want to uh, get their work out there, I definitely am, I'm happy that I published with Terror House. They did, you know, it's a really good way to get on on people's radars. Uh, but also, as Taco said, self publishing is fine too. You just kind of have to find your path. The thing with when you publish with a publisher, and I'm just going to say this, I'm not going to qualify it. Um, when you publish with a publisher, you are not totally in control of your own branding. So you know, some of, some of the, the blurb, the cover like that wasn't necessarily my branding. I think it, you know, things get the branding that, you know, work for them in the end often, but yeah, you know, it, when you publish with a publisher, there is an interesting double thing where you put the work out there and then you kind of leave a degree of the branding to them. So does, does Terror House edit? Uh, yeah. Um, Matt Forney, editor of Terror House did, yeah. did a, did a pass on the novel. I, he didn't change much though. Yeah. I think he might've yeah, whatever grammatical standards. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, no story notes at all. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm not. He may. Point. He may do that for some people, but not for me. Uh, I didn't get any story notes. Yeah, it's pretty much as I sent it to him. Yeah, I remember. Not yet for me either. Nutcracker, oh, yeah, wait, so my Dan, novel is coming out with Terror House. Hopefully in the second half of this year. Hopefully in the fall. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, Nutcracker is also being published by Terror House. And uh, yeah, the process so far has been pretty similar. Matt uh, doesn't seem to have a ton of notes exactly, but um, that's good because I, I sent it to him in what I thought was rather final form. And uh, yeah, it's um, they produce a good product. And I'm not just saying this that because- Is this your second one, Dan? Or this no, a... this is my first. Okay, yeah, this is, he... I finished writing this a long time wow. ago and I've been searching for a publisher for a while. So this has been a long time coming and I have been working on other stuff since then. So 
Hopefully the second time it gets published a little more quickly. And does he cut a deal? I mean, like, is there a deal with, with Terror House? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, like they, with all publishers, they, you know, they give you royalties yeah. and yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be transparent that I have not earned much money off of Dragon Day, <laughs> but that's the other thing with whether or not you want to self-publish, you'll get a hundred percent versus uh, I, mean, I won't even no, say. No, you don't get a hundred percent, man. Not even close. Oh, really? Publishing, you kidding? You got to go through Amazon. They take a huge piece. How much though? Oh, it, it's well, shifting. Like with my book, which was a long time ago, it's like it was a lot. They took yeah, a lot. but it's I, not I, as much as a publisher. I don't want to give any misinformation because it's always like changing, but they take a big chunk. Yeah. Um, that's. Yeah, no, in terms of being edited, it's funny, like so many people in our space, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, not the new one, the original one, was right. totally, totally refused any editing. Yeah. And Tacos is like that, Delicious Tacos, he will not be edited. Like yeah. he absolutely refuses. <laughs> and also Menaquinone, he asked me to look over a piece of his work back in, you know, the, at the beginning of this. And I like slash it up because I was like running my own kind of thing called Vandal Press. I actually started something called Vandal Press right oh, cool. at the same time as Terror House. And it was called a Web3 publisher. It was like so ahead of its time. Um, uh, and we published a couple of cool things. But again, it was just one of these things where I was getting canceled for it. And I just couldn't keep it going because I was, you know, too afraid, which is I'm now not doing anymore. Anyway, uh, I, I edited Menaquinon and he got like really pissed. Yeah. Cause he was like, fuck you, dude. What do you know? You can't, you can't be like touching my work like this. So it's good that Forney has learned to like not yeah. do that. I, mean, uh, just I give it the grammar pass. I would say that's for sure what you should do. I mostly agree with what Taco said on your last show that <coughs> all the problems have been solved. We now live in a world where you can put your work directly out to right. people and that that is good. Yeah. 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 Although Hemingway, I mean, we, you guys have talked a lot about, uh, again, I highly recommend this episode with Astral. He is... Uh so good good to talk about this stuff but um he talks about oh Hemingway has this really masculine thing it's this like short thing but that hugely comes from his editor yeah his editor oh, like, he, cut he, half well, of his words the famous uh, there's also um not too into this because this is a rabbit hole but the Raymond Carver the yeah. great great short story writer from the 80s it, it's he's considered to be I don't even remember the guy's name but basically half like or, or maybe the entirety not the story none of the sort of the entirety of the aesthetic comes from his editor so yeah. there are cases where there's really i think productive editor editor relationships um but you can't they really, usually fuck it up i will say for especially, like, now, uh, especially now especially yeah. now when i was that, getting but, yeah. edited for for vice and LA Weekly, <clears> they, would, they would uniformly destroy it i yeah. mean they would put a bunch of dumb shit in there so yeah Cool. I hate to be a spoil sport. Oh no, no, I, no, I got a got a bounce for Father's Day lunch. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It's uh, this was a great one, man. Definitely. Uh, really, oh. uh, yeah, really enjoyed this. No, thank you guys so much. I realize I'm the by far the smallest fish you've had on here, so I really appreciate you. The, punch uh, above your weight. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. It's not not, not for water. long. He follows you exactly. Right? Yeah, not not for long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've grown. You've grown. That's how. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do, and I'm I'm not gonna burn it to the ground this time out of fear. I've I've made a pact with God. So, um, yeah. no, thank you guys so much. I sure really thing. really appreciate. No, uh, thank definitely. You. Yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'm okay. out, guys. All right. Bye. Take Happy care. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to very soft.